Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we have come now to hear your word. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, that it would be alive and well and sharp. We admit, Father, that we want it to do something in us. We've not come here today, God, thinking that we have it all figured out, and if you would just affirm us in that. Father, we confess that we often think too highly of ourselves, so today we are humbled. We pray that your word would be light, would be life, and would move in us, would speak to our hearts, convict us of our sins, would give us faith, would build us up, would strengthen us, and refresh us. So we ask for you to do that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would please turn in the Bible to the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon, you may not know where that is. It is on page 1098 in the Pew Bible. The black Pew Bible there in front of you, it's page 1098. If if you're one of those people that likes to find a book by doing this and hoping that you see it, you might not see it because it's a half a page long. The whole book of Philemon is only a half of a page It's so short that there are not chapters, but I want you to find it. I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to preach this whole book. It is 25 verses, but the story is outstanding. I think you will be greatly encouraged by it. Um, And so I want you to be there. I want you to be able to just follow along and learn the whole book today. But it's Philemon. It's after Titus, and that's after 1 and 2 Timothy, and it's right before the book of Hebrews. So if you can find Hebrews, you're good. It's right before that. It's really short. It was written by Paul when he was in prison to a man named Philemon. And I think you're going to like it. You know, different teachers and preachers have different styles of how they preach and teach. And I'm not really sure what your favorite style is. I don't know what my style is, but I hope that your favorite style is whatever mine is. And that we've got a good relationship going on. But one of the things that I really like to do is when I get to teach a a small group Bible study like we do on Wednesdays and Thursdays. I like it when there's no time restraint and we can sit down and just walk through a passage, take all the time we want, you ask all the questions that you want, we chase as many rabbits as we need to and just have a big discussion on the passage. And I can teach you really everything that God wants us to go over. On a Sunday morning, we don't have as much time I feel like we already go long every Sunday anyway, and so we need to correct that. Uh, So I'm not able to do that. But today I'm going to try with these 25 verses. I want to walk through it. So I want you to see today a little bit differently. I want to try to cover everything. Now, I'm not going to be able to explain a lot of little things, but I do want you to get the whole gist of the book of Philemon. With that said, this book is about relationships. You see in the bulletin I've said Christian relationships or true relationships. And I've got three words there. Refreshing, useful, and confidence. And I want to ask you today that you would examine not first who your friends are, but I want you to examine first what type of a friend are you. Okay? But the three things I want us to conclude with are, are you confident in that relationship with the Father? Do you have a real relationship with the Lord Jesus? Then, secondly, are you 
that type of a friend? Do you have relationships like that toward people based off what you get from the Father? And then thirdly, do you have friends that are that way? Okay, this is what the book of Philemon's about. It's built on the idea of forgiveness and being willing to forgive people, but it's about relationships. Now, even before I was preparing to preach this, I started realizing that it is such an important idea for us to be good friends to people, for us to have good, quality, healthy relationships with people. We must work to that end. Let me give you an example of, of what this week was like for me. First of all, snow days are a little bit chaotic. One, we can get over, but when you have three in a row, you know, the kids were talking about how they hardly even had school this week. Three snow days in a row, we stayed inside a whole lot. We were overflowing with energy. Kids were jumping off the couch and bouncing into the TV, and it was stressing us out because of, of being stuck in the house all the time. I mean, you can only go outside and uh, throw snowballs and go sledding so many times. It's cold, and so you get back in and you stay in. I've watched more uh, basketball this week than I've watched the whole month combined. I've watched every game, games I don't even care about because I'm just stuck in the house. I've read more this week than I normally read because I'm stuck in the house. And yet with that week going on, I had four calls this week to do funerals. I'm only able to do two. Two I wasn't able to do. On top of that, in our church, three unexpected deaths in your families. I found out of one this morning, I found out of another yesterday, of a tragic 21-year-old that was killed in a car accident to one of our, the cousins of one of our, our church members. Not to mention all the other things that are going on. I got two other calls of church members that had to be taken to the hospital, admitted into the hospital. And it's really, 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 really important in those times that not that we then try to resolve our relationships but that we have good, strong relationships. That we are a true friend to somebody. And Philemon is going to help us understand this. Let's start reading. Philemon, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is how it begins. I've already told you this, that Paul is writing, and he's writing from prison. He lets us know that early on. He's a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He is not in prison because he did something wrong. He is in prison because he's faithful to Jesus, and the uh, culture didn't like that, so they put him in prison. But he's writing a letter from prison to this man named Philemon. And he's got a family, as you see there. And Philemon is... We don't know a whole lot about him, but we do know that he is successful enough or wealthy enough that he's able to host the church in his house. I think you know that there haven't always been big church buildings like this. I think you also know that the church is not the building, but the people. We've talked about that many, many times. If this snowstorm had come through and blown this building away so that nothing was left here at 413 Fairdale Road except for a plot of land, the church would still be here, right? Absolutely. I don't know if we'd have been able to meet today outside, but there still would be a church. The church is us. And so we have no problem with him saying that the church meets in his house. They didn't have a building back then, so they met at Philemon's house. 
He's writing him a letter. It's a good letter, calm letter. Everything's under control. And verse 3 lets us know that he says, Grace to you, Philemon, and your family, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, when you desire in your heart for somebody to have the peace of God, that's a sign that you're wanting to have a strong relationship. If you cannot even begin by saying, I pray for the peace of God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ to be in your heart, to be in your soul, to be in your life, then that's a sign that we're, we're not even getting into a good relationship. He's about to deal with the situation. He begins it with grace and peace from God. He, he desires that for Philemon. I want to ask you that you desire to have good desires for people, for those people in your life. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. This is something that Paul often does. He, when he writes a letter, he often tells them that he's thankful to God for them. Another sign that this is a good, healthy relationship. Okay, he desires peace in Philemon's life, and now he says he is thankful to God. You know, a lot of times we tell people that we're thankful for them, but I want to ask you if you ever tell somebody that you're thankful to God for them. It seems to take your thankfulness to a whole other level. It's one thing to say, hey, thank you so much for being here today. There was some ice out in the parking lot just from the melting and freezing. And they got here this morning and they were spreading salt. And we say, you know, thank you. But it's a whole other thing to say, hey, you know what? I thank God for you. It shows that I'm even more mindful, more, more focused on my appreciation for them, that God has put them there, that their service is not uh, taken for granted. And this is what Paul says to Philemon. He thanks God for him always when he remembers him in his prayers. Verse 5, because, and here's why he's thankful, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. That's a good verse. Paul is in prison, but when he hears about Philemon, who we, 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 we think is a member of the church in Colossae, the book of Colossians, okay, is the, is the only book where, well, the book of Colossians is written to the church in Colossae. And the end of that book tells us that Paul sends the letter of Colossians and this letter of Philemon with this man named Onesimus to get it to them. So he takes it to the church, and we assume he took this letter too to them. It's interesting. So Paul's away. He's in Rome, and he's in prison. And Paul is hearing things. Man, that church in Colossae is doing really well they got some strong believers there. They're committed to the cause. They have some faithful people there. And that's what Paul's saying. And now he's writing a letter to Philemon. He says, Philemon, I, I am hearing of your love and of your faith that you have toward Jesus and toward all the saints. That's a good sign, isn't it? When people talk about you around Fairdale, do, do they ever say, man, he, he loves the Lord? Man, he's a... He's a loving man. Dude, when, I, when I bump into people around town and, and they know you and I'm talking to them, do they, do they say, man, he seems to really have a heart for God. Man, he's a good man. He loves people. See, Paul is hearing that Philemon is this way. 
He hears about his love. He hears about his faith, both to Jesus and toward people. I want to remind you that our church's mission statement says that we exist to love God and people. That is the greatest commandments from God. That we would love God with all our heart and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. There is no disconnect there. We cannot be people who are trying to convince ourselves that we love God if we are not able to love people. We see this lived out really well in Philemon, and he hears of it. And he thanks God for it because he's hearing of it. Verse 6. Now he tells us what he prays for Philemon. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. He knows Philemon to be a man that is living for God. See, the Bible teaches us that in order for us to be true Christians, we have to desire for other people to come to know God. This is, this is the reality. You don't get saved from your sins, passed from death to life, and, and on your way to heaven and escaping hell. That doesn't happen to you, and then you no longer desire for anybody else to. Born into the believer in Jesus is a heart for people. Now, not everybody is outgoing, and not everybody is an extrovert, and not everybody has the gift of evangelism, but every born-again child of God wants other people to know God. There's no doubt about that. Well, Philemon is that way. He even hosts the church in his house. He's the one who wants people to come to his house, wants people to hear the word taught, wants people to be loved and served, wants them connected to Jesus. And Paul knows this. And so Paul prays that his life being lived out would be effective. What a great prayer. I pray that the sharing of your faith would be effective, he says. Have you all ever prayed that for somebody in our church? We have lots of people in our church that get to work in in the school system. Lots of people to get to work with kids and work with students. Lots of people to get to work with FCA and with sports. We We have a handful of people that are spread out throughout Jefferson County at all different schools working in schools and working with FCA with students and on a regular basis getting to talk to them about God and share the Bible with them. What a sweet prayer it would be for you to just say, Oh God, I pray for for this man. I pray for this this young lady as she goes and meets with them this Thursday at 4 o'clock, that you would make the sharing of her faith effective. Isn't that a good prayer? That's not one where you needed to carve out your schedule either. That's not one where you needed to get on your knee beside your bed and, and, and seemingly overwhelm you with the responsibility of prayer. That's a prayer that you could say sitting at a stoplight. That's a prayer that you could add in as you prayed at lunch for your meal. God, thank you for this food. And I do pray that you would be with her today as she speaks to that cheerleading team. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And Paul does this. Paul knows that Philemon meets with the church in his house and he's praying that his life, that the sharing of his life and his faith would become effective so that people would know Jesus for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Verse 7. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Mm, I like him saying this. We know Paul to be a strong man. Let's don't take his love and encouragement type talk to make him sensitive at all. One of the toughest people there are. In Acts chapter 20, it was Paul that held up his hands and showed off all the scars and sores and calluses and said, I want to remind you all, y'all didn't pay for me to work. It was with these hands that I worked myself to support myself, and y'all know that. Let me also remind you of Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 where he goes through the list of all the beatings he had been through, uh, starving and, 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 and shipwreck and at sea and left for dead and beaten twice and all of that kind of stuff. Paul's a tough guy. 
He just understood that relationships with Jesus are the most important thing in the world. And we ought not to have a relationship with anybody where it's not weighing on our heart. Do they know the Lord Jesus? Will they be in heaven with me? Or will they be in hell? And what might I do about it? How might God use me here? That's how he feels. And he says, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Paul is writing a letter to Philemon, if you will, saying, you bless me. Love and joy are in my life because of you. I see you, I observe you, and it's a blessing. He calls him his brother, and then he explains that in verse 7. Look what he says. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. That's our first word today, refresh. Three words, refresh, useful, and confidence. Number one, refresh. Paul writes a letter to Philemon, and, and as you know, he hasn't even gotten into the, to the meat of the passage yet. That's not what this book's about. We haven't gotten there. But in his letter, he says, man, I get a lot of love and joy and encouragement from you, Philemon, because I know that the hearts of the saints are refreshed through you. I want to ask you if you're refreshing. I want to ask you if you're refreshed. But before that, I want to ask you, where where does that come from in our lives? With all three of these points, refresh, useful, and confidence, I want us to take three steps into examining where we're at. I said at the beginning, I want to say it again. The first thing I want you to think is not, I don't have anybody who refreshes me. That is a self-centered way of thinking. Many of you are there right now, and it's tearing you down. I don't want you to begin that way. The first step in evaluating these three things in your relationships is, am I refreshed by God? Am I refreshed by Jesus? Is he enough for me? Do I have a relationship with him? Have I read his word? Am I trusting in the promises of what he said? Do I realize that he is working for my good? Do I realize that he is with me? Do I realize that he is living inside of me? Am I believing that, trusting in that? Has God refreshed you? Let me tell you right now, and many of you can can understand this right now. You are not refreshed You are not refreshing, and nobody is refreshing you often if you've not been refreshed by God. Your outlook is dreary, you're discouraged, you're frustrated, you're down, and you can't seem to get away from it because the one thing that should not be neglected is neglected, God refreshing us. Once you know the great love of God for you in Christ and that his blood was for the forgiveness of your sins and that you are feeling a clean conscience and that you are right with God, then you feel refreshed by God. You're trusting in his promises, standing on his promises. And at that point, you start asking, who might I refresh? Notice, this is just the second thought. I'm still not to who refreshes you. The second thought is, who might I refresh? It would not take long at all for every single one of us in the room to look around this room or look around our lives or look around our our neighborhoods, our community, wherever you function and see a lot of people right now who need refreshing. I know several people sitting in here right now that this weekend got unexpected news that a family member died. You think they need refreshing? Absolutely.
There are people around all the time who are sick and who are struggling, people who are low on money, people who lost their job, people who are in a feud, people whose families can't get along, people who didn't pass a test, people who got laid off, and so on and so on. And what they need is some refreshing. And I want to ask you, are you the one to refresh them? And Paul writes to Philemon and says, man, you, you are one of those guys that refreshes the church. You refresh the saints. Now, I want to cause you to, to see something, and I'm jumping ahead, and we'll get back to it in a little bit. But I want you to look all the way over to verse 20. He says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Does everybody see that? I've got verse 7, the word refresh circled, and then I've got a line going from that circle all the way to verse 20, and that refresh circled. See, Paul says, man, Philemon's the refresher. Philemon is the one who refreshes people, so I'm going to spend some time with Philemon. I'm going to talk to Philemon. Philemon, I know you fresh, refresh other people, and I need some benefit from you, brother. Will you refresh my heart? See, people are looking for refreshment. You know they are. And I want to ask, are they, are they looking to you? I want to ask if they're looking to you. And I want to ask, why, why not? Why aren't they looking to you? Or better, I'll say, why, why, why aren't you excited about them looking to you? Why don't you understand that, that that's what God wants you to be? Set your eyes upon Jesus, be refreshed by him, and allow God to be refreshing other people through you. Back in the summer, in, in August, you remember that Ashley Madison website got hacked. Many, many of y'all heard this. Ashley Madison is the website that promotes having an affair. Their slogan is, life is short, have an affair. It's a secret way for you to have an affair and nobody knows. But the website got hacked. And all the names involved with Ashley Madison were exposed. Well, Christianity Today reported that over 400 church leaders' names were connected with the hack. That doesn't mean they were all guilty. Somebody could have made a fake account. We don't know the details. But there were 400 church leaders' names inside of Ashley Madison. It was terrible. You know what happened? That week, I got a call from a guy that I have not talked to in quite some time. He's a good friend, good brother of mine. He used to be in Louisville. Now he's in Georgia. I had not talked to him in probably over a year. He called, and I said, hey. He said, hey, what's up, man? How are you doing? We called up for like two minutes. He said, well, let me, let me tell you why I called. He said, back when you, when you and I were in seminary, we talked to each other about always doing whatever we could to make sure we stayed focused. When I saw this Ashley Madison report, my heart sunk. And I don't want that to happen to you, Josh. So I'm just calling you right now to give you a shot in the arm, to give you a pat on the back, to give you a refreshing. Stay faithful to Val. Don't let it happen to you. I was so refreshed by that. I was so encouraged. I was so built up. This guy I had not talked to in a year. He's down in Georgia trying to, trying to worry about his church. I hadn't thought about him. And he thinks to call me. He said, I don't even want to take long. We're only on the phone about 10 minutes. He said, I heard this report. Don't let it happen to you. That's refreshing, is it not? It's refreshing that somebody cares about me and wants me to stay faithful to God and to my calling and to my job and to lead our church well. Stay faithful to my wife and to my children that I would not mess them up. And he called me to tell me that. I was so refreshed. And, and Paul says here that Philemon is that way. He gets lots of joy and lots of comfort and lots of love from this brother because he refreshes the hearts of the saints. I want to ask you, do you refresh anybody 
And then thirdly, I want to ask you, do you have anybody that refreshes you? Have you allowed yourself to open up in a relationship? Have you been honest enough, open enough to allow somebody to refresh you? I know a lot of really, really refreshing people. I love to be around them. I love to talk to them. I'd love to introduce you to them. But you have to be willing to be a friend in order to have a friend. That's how relationships work. It does take two. Point number one today, real relationships have refreshment to them. They have refreshment to them. Does God refresh you? Do you refresh people? Do you have anybody in your life that refreshes you to love the Lord Jesus? May you. I want to say with all honesty, churches are not the places you should come if you're looking for perfect people. We are anything but that. We've got a lot of problems. I, myself, have a lot of problems. But, with all seriousness, I believe the Word of God, and I'm working hard to live by it and to help you live by it. And I know a lot of people who are as well. Let me encourage you to be involved, to be committed, and to strive for healthy church relationships. And I assure you, through good, healthy relationships in the church, you will be refreshed. But I also assure you that if you stay at a distance at arm's length, and you try to be a part of the church without any relationships in the church, you will not be refreshed. Matter of fact, you will be discouraged. Paul is writing to a man who he knows well, who he is hearing about this guy, who meets with the church in his house, and he knows that people are encouraged by him. He's refreshing. Let's keep going, verse 8. Now we get to the very uh, context of the passage of what's going on. Verse 8, accordingly though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Jesus Christ. So Paul now is exercising a little bit of apostolic authority. You know that Paul is an apostle. And Paul is able to say, Here's what I say, here's what goes. But he doesn't do that. He could do that, but he, he doesn't do that. He appeals a little bit to his authority, but he says he wants to do it in love. He doesn't want to demand Philemon on what to do. He wants to ask Philemon on what to do, and he wants to see how it's going to go. Here's the situation, verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Here's the plot of the book of Philemon. There's a man named Onesimus. And when Paul says he became his father, he doesn't mean he found a lady and became a dad during prison. He means that this guy was also in prison with him. And like we've always known of Paul, he's always preaching the gospel. And if he has even a few minutes with somebody or stuck in a jail cell with somebody, he is going to talk to them about salvation, about knowing Jesus, about the forgiveness of sins. So he talks to this bad guy, this, this thief, Onesimus, about Jesus. And there in prison, God saves Onesimus. Onesimus goes from being a criminal who is rightly in jail in Rome and goes, Onesimus becomes a believer in Jesus. So Paul is now his spiritual father. Paul's the one who has led him to Christ. So you're wondering, well, what's the connection to Philemon? Here you go. Verse 11, formerly 
He was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Here's the deal. Onesimus was a slave. Philemon was a slave owner. Okay? Philemon was a slave owner. Onesimus was a slave. I don't want you to think about uh, the, the, the evil types of, of slavery that we had in our country years ago. I want you to think about slavery on a different level where it was not the evil type of slavery going on. Onesimus' name means useful. That's what his name means. You might have a footnote there. The name Onesimus means useful. Paul says that he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me, and I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. If you go on a little bit further, in verse 17 and 18, it says, If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. We don't know exactly what happened, but it seems that Onesimus has stolen something, money or or possessions, from Philemon. He was a thief. And he stole something from his slave owner and he took off. And they couldn't find him. He had gone to Rome. And by a crazy turn of events, Onesimus had now landed in Paul's life in jail in Rome. And Paul, doing what Paul does, preaches the gospel to him and he gets saved. So now Paul and Onesimus are sitting down having conversations. And Onesimus spills his guts and says, man, God has changed my life. Man, I'm a criminal. I've got a slave owner, Philemon, who's so good to me and he loves me and he has a church. He's a follower of Jesus too. And he's always told me about Jesus, but I was ignorant, didn't care. And I was disobedient and rebellious. I didn't listen. And now I've fled away from him. And Paul says, well, here's what you've got to do if you're going to make it right. You can go back to Philemon. Onesimus says, no way, he's never going to take me back. He probably hates me now. Paul says, nah. The power of God is a real thing. You're going to go back to him, and I'm going to send a letter with him asking him to receive you back. See, Jesus had come into Onesimus' life and changed him. When God saves somebody, he gives him a new heart. Our eyes look to the cross of Christ and we see the Lord Jesus Christ crucified on the cross for our sins. And in seeing that and admitting our wrong and recognizing that God is a savior, a life changer, we repent. We say, my sins are wrong. My sins are a problem. My sins are against God. And we ask God through what Jesus has done to forgive us. We say, God, I'm wrong. God, I'm sorry. God, I've got problems. God, I'm the issue here. It's not Philemon's fault. It's my fault. And Onesimus had come to that point. And Paul tells him what he needs to do. And he writes him a letter. Now, in this letter, he says, he used to be useless. I know his name's useful, but he's really useless. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about anything. He's just living for himself. He doesn't care who he hurts. He doesn't care who gets in the way. He doesn't care if he steals from you and runs off. He doesn't care. He's useless. But now I want you to know, Philemon, he's useful to you and to me. He's useful to the kingdom of God. He's useful to our relationships. You're going to be glad to have this brother back around. See, the Bible teaches us that until we come to know the Lord Jesus, we don't understand what life's about. I don't at all want to say that anybody is worthless. Everybody's life has worth and has value. But we are to find our worth and our value in God. What would it profit a man? What would it profit you if you were to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? It would be a waste, wouldn't it? 
1 Samuel 2, 12, one of the most shocking verses to me, says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. We must see that our usefulness is to be understood in light of God and who He is, what He wants us to do with our lives. I want to ask you if you have found yourself useful to the world, to society. I want to ask you if you are a a help to Fairdale because of the way God has changed your life. I want to ask you if you see yourself as a child of God, saved by Jesus, and therefore very useful to the world. Then I want to ask you secondly, are you useful to the people around you? Again, I'm not asking you right now if you have some useful people in your life. I'm asking you if you're useful to them. It seems to me that the world's getting worse and worse at living, and there are a lot of people who need some help, and we need more people who are useful. I want to ask you if you are that. I want to ask you if your home thinks, man, I'm so thankful for them. They are so useful. I want to ask you if there's anybody that counts on you, depends on you. Are you useful to the world? I want to ask you if you're useful to our church. I want to ask you if you make me a better pastor. Do you make your church members better believers? Are you useful to refreshment or are you not? Then I want to ask you thirdly, do you have any useful people in your life? Do you tell people thank you when they've done something for you? Do you express gratitude and appreciation so that you keep relationships strong? Do you love and serve people like our church's mission statement says? Think about the power of God in God's eyes. I mean, in Paul's eyes. Paul is writing a letter to a man who doesn't necessarily need help from the world's standards. He's successful and wealthy enough that whether this slave comes back or not, it's not really going to ruin his life. But Paul's writing him a letter saying, I want you to take him back. He's going to be useful to you. This is going to be so good for your heart and for your life. It's going to be so good for your church. This is going to be a sermon in and of itself to all the other slaves that are around. Your children are going to be amazed at this. Can you imagine, with all the little beefs and dramas that go on in a little town like Fairdale, can you imagine if we had a heart for God and started to be useful in all those relationships? Can you imagine if we set our eyes upon Jesus and wanted to deal with people the way God has dealt with us and wanted to be a, an extending arm to everybody that we connect with in Fairdale? They can trust us, count on us. They can count on us to speak a good word of them, not to speak ill of them, to do the right thing, that they are useful. Can you imagine the power that there is in that? Dylan Chase, writing a song about this, says, The gospel of Christ made some things change because now he and Philemon became the same slaves. Slaves to Christ. Can you imagine? It used to be that Philemon was the slave owner and Onesimus was a slave. But Onesimus has now become a believer. God has changed him. And so now the song writes that these two people are both slaves. Slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Committed to serving him. He goes on to say, So Paul the Apostle saw that he ought to resolve what was harming the body he's got to. So he comes on strong, but then also as a fellow servant of God as he talks to Philemon, pleading for Onesimus, please don't grieve him, I need him, but he is still yours, so just listen. His presence is dear to me, but it's dearer to you. And it's so clear to see since hearing the truth, he's been adopted and cleaned, and often it seems, listen to this, that God in his sovereignty saw all these things. Like him thieving and leaving you for a season, through that God redeemed him and cleaned him, so he can be yours forever as a brother in Christ.
Can you imagine that God in his sovereign hand had brought Onesimus to this place? And God allowed him to be a thief and to steal and to run away to Rome, which looks like a horror story, but turns out for the good, which we know that God works all things together for the good, so that Paul could preach to him, Onesimus could get saved, Paul would send him back to Philemon, and next thing you know, you've got two people that should be hating each other by the world's standards. We're never going to get along. This is never going to be resolved. I don't ever want to see them. And Paul, with his authority, writes a letter and says, you ought to forgive him. You ought to see relationships as very important, and the Lord Jesus Christ should be the the ringleader on what relationships look like. He's forgiven you much more than Onesimus needs forgiveness, and I ask you to forgive him, and he will be useful to you. Can you imagine? Look back to Philemon now. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. Paul is confident of Philemon's goodness. He says, I don't even need to command you to do this. I wanted to just tell you and see how you would do and I'm confident of that, which we'll get to in just a second. Verse 15. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul believes in the life-changing power of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you have not believed in that, if you came here today thinking that church is just going to refresh in you a little bit and that's all you need to get you through the week, and you have not placed all of your hope in the life-changing power of Jesus, I want to ask you to today. I want to ask you to believe the word of God. That what God does when he saves somebody is he reaches inside them, spiritually speaking, and literally removes their dead, cold heart and gives them a new heart that is alive and well and loves God. So that everything changes. With what we love, with what we hate, with how we view situations. Paul is so confident that God has changed Onesimus that he writes this letter that many would think is crazy. And he's asking Philemon to receive him. Verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, which you know he does, receive him as you would receive me. It's a big statement, huh? Paul's pushing all his chips in. Putting all his eggs in a basket. Philemon... I'm asking you to take Onesimus back on the same level that you would receive me. I totally understand he's ruined your life. I understand that he has stolen from you. He's run away. I understand that you're embarrassed and this reputation and everybody's upset about it. I understand that he's caused you great heartache, probably cost you lots of money, probably stressed you out, ruined your days lately. I get that. But I'm telling you the Lord has changed him and I'm asking you to forgive him. Receive him the way you would receive me. Verse 18. And if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul now says he'll he'll make up for it. Verse 19. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. What Paul means there is just like Onesimus came to faith through Paul's teaching, so did Philemon. Paul led Philemon to Christ. Philemon looks at Paul like, man, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be where I'm at. He's the one who helped me grow. He's the one who's taught me the word. He's the one who modeled for me what it looks like to live for Jesus. And Paul says, don't even think about that. 
I'll do whatever it takes to smooth this ground out that's been a little bit rocky. I realize that our pasts make all of our futures rocky, but the gospel is stronger than that. I want y'all to believe that. I really do. I realize that all of our paths have been rocky. And so it's not automatically easy, especially for worldly people, to just move into tomorrow or the future with smooth relationships. But if we start believing the Lord Jesus Christ and humbling ourselves before him and treating people by the golden rule, not the way they treat you, but how you would want them to treat you, then things would be much smoother. And I do believe with my whole heart that whoever your enemy is right now or whoever it is that you can't stand right now or whoever it is that gets on your nerves right now, I do believe that if you will change your outlook on Jesus, the future would be much better. This is exactly what Paul is saying to Philemon in regards to Onesimus. I want you to remember that they have not seen each other. They have not talked it out. They have not hugged. They have not shaken hands. Nothing. Philemon is mad at Onesimus, and Onesimus is scared to death. And Paul's saying, I want you to go back there and look him in the eye. Onesimus, I want you to walk up to him and say, uh, Philemon, I'm so sorry. I wronged you. My fault. Would you forgive me? Would you have mercy on me? I'm trusting in the Lord Jesus, and he has. And Paul's expecting, expecting Philemon to say, come here, brother. And give him a hug and say, you better believe I will. I love you. Now let's go reach the world for Jesus. Useful. Useful. Are you useful to the kingdom of God? Now lastly, here we go, verse 19. I, Paul, write this to you with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So now Paul has just kind of laid it out there and said, look, here's the situation I know you to be the refresher. Now refresh me. Do what I'm asking you to do. Receive him. Restore him. Refresh him. And in doing that, you will refresh me. You know, sometimes in life we have to ask that of people. Sometimes you have to go to a brother or sister in Christ. Sometimes you have to go to somebody, hey, here's what I need you to do. And Paul is asking him to do it. And he says, refresh me. Verse 21. This is our third word, confident. And this is a statement that is just so encouraging reading it. He says, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Confident. I want to ask you if you have confidence in any relationships. Number one, are you confident that God loves you? Are you confident that your sins are forgiven? And if you die right now, or if Jesus comes back right now, you're ready? Remember I preached on, the, on, the, on that last week, be ready. Are you confident that you're right with God? Are you confident that your heart is pure, that you're repentant of your sins, and that you're ready to go? Secondly, is there anybody in your life that's confident of your obedience? What a statement. Because uh, people count on each other, right? I hope y'all are counting on me. Is anybody confident of your obedience? Are our children confident that you're going to hold your job and bring home the money? Are our children confident that we're going to always point them to Jesus? That we're going to show them what God's like? Are your neighbors confident? Are your family confident? Are people confident in us that we will handle situations the right way? And thirdly, do you have some people that you're confident in? 
couple weeks ago, we had a, a couple come wanting to talk, and they said they wanted to talk about their past, and they really needed help understanding forgiveness. They wanted to understand forgiveness in their own lives and understand forgiveness that they needed to give. Forgiveness they needed to get and forgiveness that they needed to give. They had some situations they wanted to talk, talk to, and they said, Josh, could, could we meet and talk sometime? I said, yeah. So I went and found another couple in the church. I said, listen, i got a situation. I don't know if you've ever even met these people, but I want you to go and talk to them. And you can do it. I know you know how to talk to them. I know you understand forgiveness. I understand forgiveness from God, forgiveness with people, forgiveness all the way around. And I was confident, not in myself. I didn't even talk to them about it. I was confident in this other couple that they would be willing to go and do it. Let's say somebody comes to me and they've got some trash they want to talk about you. They want to tell me how you've been. Should I be confident that I know you'll handle it the right way? Vice versa. Paul writes a letter to Philemon. Says, look, can you believe it, Philemon? I know Onesimus. You know this bum of a slave of yours that stole from you? I know you think he's useless. But I got something to tell you, Philemon. This brother's useful to you and to me now. God has changed his life. And I'm sending him back. Just like the Lord's forgiven you, you need to forgive him and accept him. And I'm confident of your obedience. What a statement. Confident of your obedience. Not only confident of his obedience, but that confident that he will do even more than I say. Don't you love people like that? All the time. I remember we, we, we had to do the gift bags for the KOB. We get to give them a gift. And every player that played in the basketball tournament. So I think that whatever, whatever 15 times 16 is. I can't do that math right now. But whatever that is. We had to give a gift bag to every one of them. I called up a family in the church. And I said, could you please go to Sam's? And get us 300 packs of crackers, 300 bags of chips, 300 Slim Jims, 300 packs of gum, 300 Lifesavers, 300 Peppermints, 300 Now or Laters, 300 of everything. They say, yeah, yeah, we'll take care of it. What a blessing. What a blessing. About every Wednesday, before church starts, there's kids back there shooting basketball. And, you, and, and usually about whoever's the first pe- people to pull up that day, I'll say, there's a bunch of kids back there shooting basketball. I'm pretty sure they don't know the Lord. Can you go back there and tell them about Jesus? And most of the time, people say, yeah, I'd be glad to. Confident of somebody's obedience. Just this week, we had an impromptu uh, kids event here at church. It was a snow day. Had the kids over here to play. It was a lot of fun. And had a lady show up. And I didn't have any snacks prepared. And you really can't do anything with kids if you don't have a snack ready. So I said, can you, can you go get some snacks? Run over here to pick pack. Here's some money. She said, no, oh, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. It's refreshing that people are useful and that we can learn to be confident of their obedience. Now put this in the context of a really dramatic, bad situation. And Paul believes that Jesus is the truth and that grace reigns let's finish this book out verse 22 at the same time prepare a guest room for me for i'm hoping that through your prayers i'll be graciously given to you epaphras my fellow prisoner in christ jesus sends greetings to you and so do mark aristarchus demas and luke my fellow workers 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The letter ends. The letter ends. Paul, and this is what's beautiful about the Bible, Paul takes a situation that for many might ruin relationships. But Paul takes the supernatural Holy Spirit power and plugs it into that situation and says, God's broken him, he's humble, he's broken, he's repentant, Onesimus is, and I'm asking you to receive him back. What a story of being refreshing, of being useful, and being confident. Do you know those three from God? Are you those three two people? And do you have people like that in your life? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this story of Philemon. And thank you, God, for three big words, refreshment, usefulness, confidence, that can frame our relationships in life. God, help us to not be shallow and help us to not be superficial. Help us to be the real thing, empowered by Jesus. God, I pray that for our church, that we would be real people with real relationships, and we ask for your help in that. God, stir our hearts to that now. Do what only you can do, God, and refresh us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.